Yippee-ki-yay, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Kai Rock, who is an acting bassoon and contrabassoon of the Oregon Symphony. He has also performed with various ensembles, including the Minnesota Orchestra, St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, the New Bedford Symphony, and the Amici Wind Quintet, and we'll be talking about food and culture. Welcome, Kai. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. Thanks for having me, Patty. I'm really excited. Of course. So, of course, I knew about you, and we maybe hung out once at Gabrielle. Glasses and mm-hmm. Tommy Glasses condo. You were like a friend of Eric Ripple's past. All these are past <laughs> guests of the podcast. Yeah. But then with Tommy and Gabby, we went to Benny Hanna together, which to me was right. my first experience ever going there. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, to Benny Hanna's, I didn't even know it existed um, before <laughs> we went. But I've been to like other steakhouse sort of sure. places before. So it was yeah. a completely new experience. Yeah. I mean, anyway, I just remember like, yeah, getting to know you better. And like, it was right when you were about to move to Portland, too. And I was like, man, yeah, could have hung out with you more. But oh, well, <laughs> yeah, the pandemic really gets in the way of everything. No, yeah, you too. know, the first time we met was Gabby and Tommy's like moving party. Oh, sure. Condo. Do you remember? Yeah. That? yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's always a good time with them. Oh, yeah. Anyway, what is your most insane performance story? Okay, my second year at Rice, we were doing, um, what is the music class? Collegium? Do you, okay. do you ever take Collegium? I never took it, no. Okay. Well, Collegium, for those who don't know, is like this early music performance where they give you like Renaissance or Baroque instruments. And so I was playing the Dulcian, which is like a pre-bassoon instrument. And th- this video is somewhere, I think, on Instagram. I think someone posted it. But we have about six weeks or something to perform each program. And there's two programs in the semester. And so we had spent six weeks of rehearsal on these two short pieces, probably about a minute each. And there's like some improvisation. And then we had a viola de gamba player. We had, there was a sham player. Someone was playing like finger cymbals and like a little like drum. And then there was a recorder player. And we went to start the piece. And so it starts with like a cymbal clash and then like a drone. So we had the viola de gamba player. And then nothing happened except for the drone. And then someone like laughed. <laughs> oh, no. And then it just broke out into complete laughter for like a solid 15 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> And then I hadn't eaten that day, and so I was like, okay, I, I need to play to like get this piece going. So I like <laughs> played a note, but I started laughing as I played the note. So it was just like this big boom. <laughs> and so it made me laugh more. And oh so God. this went on for probably about the first 30 seconds to a minute of the piece of just, just like busting out <laughs> in laughter. In the, like, in this performance, like people actually come in from all around Houston to come to these concerts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's, that's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That reminds me of there's times when I've either been on stage or in the audience and it's like a really sensitive, quiet moment or something really intimate music mm-hmm. going on. And I just, for whatever reason, got the giggles, but it makes it funnier because I'm yeah. trying to repress my laughter. So then it just is even harder to like not laugh. Anyway, I just, yeah, so it's, That's it exactly sounds like <laughs> that was a moment like that, but then you actually had to perform. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like that all of the rehearsals leading up into the performance like there was some sort of laughter and trying to like piece it together because it's different like older music you know there's a lot of like improvisation and Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of different than what we do in the orchestra world and so like people have a hard time like focusing and (laughs) so we just kind of crack jokes and the performance just ended up being that Did you get any reception about that after the performance? I think some people showed up thinking that that may be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we got some kicks out of it, I guess. Um, Okay. I don't think we got good grades out of it. (laughs) Okay, good. It wasn't like you were scolded or anything for it. Like, why did you do that for? Uh, Or whatever. We weren't scolded, but I think it was reflected in our grade. (laughs) Oh, no! It was worth it. It was worth it. Well, I mean, right. It's worth the story, at least. Okay. (laughs) All right, are you ready for some Spitfire questions? Let's do this. Okay, Mahler or Bruckner? Mahler. Debussy or Ravel? Ravel. Cats Ooh, or dogs? That's a hard one. Dogs that are like cats. <laughs> okay, all right. Or cats App- that are like dogs. Appetizer dogs. or dessert? Appetizer. Sparkling or still water? Still water. Fan favorite question, alternate universe musical instrument? Flute. Oh, that's yeah. not what I was expecting. Why the flute? <laughs> I don't know why I didn't expect... I don't know. What did you expect? I don't know. I expected something along the same timbre as a bassoon. Mm, I mean, yeah. 
I like could, a cello. Like cello would be cool, like a, but okay. So yeah. my mom played viola, and so like I grew up listening to some string music, and then yeah. like some like high school players, you hear the string instruments. I never really. You didn't gravitate. Them. No, yeah. I didn't gravitate towards them. But like yeah. I've been fortunate, I guess, to be around really good flute players in high school and since then, and so like they always like stand out. So you me. know what a sound a flute can produce. Yeah. Kind of. And so that's and like they see. play like the melodies and stuff, and like they have like solo music where as a bassoon player we don't really yeah. get like so called good music, the respected music. Okay. <laughs> Do you so you have flute envy or Oh a little bit. I mean like okay. yeah. Do you, I, did you we steal the, the rep sometime. Okay. Did I choose the wrong instrument? I know it's a loaded we can question. Get, yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I feel like the bassoon sort of chose me in like Aww. a in like a interesting way. Okay, well we'll get into that, yeah. I suppose. Okay. Early bird or night owl? Depends. <laughs> um you, usually a night owl. Usually okay. a night owl. Pandemic guilty pleasure? Pokemon Go. Oh, okay. <laughs> were were you like drive around and or No, but I would like walk. I would like walk. I found some parks in the neighborhood that I hadn't noticed were there just because yeah. I was playing the game and kind of exploring the area. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it got me out of the house. Yeah, that's that's things. a fun way of discovering your neighborhood. Yeah, it, it was good. <laughs> and like, there was like a part of it that like developed like a PVP is what they call it. I guess it's person versus person player mode. And so there, were, I wanted to be competitive, but like, I'm not going to spend money on a game. Yeah, like <laughs> so I got you. It was fun though. Favorite professor shout out? Ben Kamen's shout out. Yay. Yeah, I'm still like I even to this day like his voice will like pop into the back of my head and I'm like you're right ah. you're right it's kind of like I'll have like a mini argument with myself and it's like oh but like he said this thing and, yeah yeah I, I can't argue takes with the it. cake yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. most inspired musical hero of any genre okay this sounds really hard just because like I feel like I like different musicians for like different things. Yeah, okay. I'll let you list a few. Well, let's see. Some of my favorite musicians are like Ivory Gitlis and Patricia Kovacinskaya. Mm-hmm. But like that's because like they don't care what other people think about their music making. Right. And it's so authentic. And so, so both so, are violinists, just for Yeah, example. they're both violinists. Yeah. Yeah. And then like another one, like Emmanuel Pahoud, who's kind of like the perfect flute player. I think his like old titles like the flute king or he had like an album called that or something like that. But then like outside of classical, like one of some of my favorite artists are like Lauren Hill who's like mm-hmm. got like incredible thoughtful like artistry and lyrics and I-, I think what I gravitate towards is like the most authentic person like because we're people like we're all unique mm-hmm. and so authenticity really, or really I matters should, to me in music yeah or them owning their uniqueness yeah right mm-hmm. I think that's it because sometimes people don't recognize that in themselves but mm-hmm. when you begin to own it then that's what's like really inspiring yeah so not one person but like Mini. <laughs> it's a quality of person. Maybe. Yeah, it's a quality. Okay. Most transformative performance experience? Ooh. So uh, when I first moved to Minnesota, we did Alpine Symphony. Oh, um, fine. A couple months in. I Okay, as a wind player, like, I love Strauss because, like, he just writes so well for the instruments. But I that was, like, the one tone poem that I, like, didn't really know. And uh-huh. so it was, like, kind of getting to experience that with, like, that orchestra. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, that... That tone poem is requires a lot of musicians and instruments. I yeah, believe. it's massive. Like yeah. hecklephone, like even instruments mm-hmm. you've never heard of, like hecklephone. And I think that's that actually it. <laughs> but contra- yeah that that's the only one that's like not standard i guess but yeah <laughs> contrabassoons and piccolos and yeah it's not programmed often for that reason i think yeah you yeah. might as well play don juan or uh, oil and spiel yeah <laughs> oil and spiel. Spiel. <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> so much of me knowing the orchestral repertoire <laughs> I mean, I don't blame you. There's a lot of it. Yeah. No, that piece is pretty awesome, too. I played that at Rice, actually. That was my last orchestra piece I Till? ever did. No, Alpine Symphony. Oh, Alpine. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. And as a string player, I usually don't enjoy playing Strauss because okay. it's really hard. Yeah. But that was really fulfilling for me mm-hmm. personally, too. And in the hall, in, in Orchestra Hall, too, at Minnesota, like, I can't imagine what that yeah. must have felt and, like. like There's just incredible like. musicians. Like, the musicianship that I heard around mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, this is what it's like to yeah. like, be in this kind of space. I, I really like this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. Yeah. Desert island piece of any genre? You know, the first thing that pops to mind is Daphnis and Chloe. Oh, okay. Yeah, suite number two. That was like mm-hmm. one of the very first orchestral pieces that I think I fell in love with. I love like the technical virtuosity, but also like the luscious like beauty atmosphere. of the piece. Yeah, uh-huh. the atmosphere. And the totally. fact that like there's so many notes that like you're just going to have to practice it forever anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you're on a desert island, you're just gonna <laughs> practice? Is that my understanding? 
<laughs> well, if I had to, like, be on a desert island with a piece, it might as well be something that I'm going to be, like, paying attention to. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna sustain you musically throughout your yeah, survival and it's gonna time. just keep my attention. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, you made it through the Spitfire questions. Congratulations. <sighs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. I don't know what I just did. <laughs> oh, you have one too. Holy crap. I always have a kazoo in my backpack for some random reason. What? I think wait, I've had this for wait, like three or four years. Wait, let's do a duet. Wait, we have to do a duet now. I don't know what um what duet can we do? I don't know. Do you, do you know the was it Elmo? Is it the the I don't know that. Oh, I think that's like the Elmo theme song, Sesame Street. Something oh, like that. it's been a really long time for me. <laughs> we could do, if one of us does, I could do the bass part, and if you can do like Ode to Joy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's a D. We're killing it. This isn't going to work, actually. Anyway, because we technically have an t- internet like lag time. and right? Oh, true. <laughs> Maybe you can, can slice try. it together. That was fun. <laughs> I never thought I'd do a kazoo duet. Oh That's awesome. Thank you. I didn't expect the kazoo to come out. Of my <laughs> oh, that was great. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Kai, can you walk me through your musical origin story? How did the bassoon find you, apparently? When did you decide to take that to the next level and become a professional musician and walk the steps through all your education and experience to where you are today? Yeah. That's a lot. Okay. So music has always been a part of my life. My mom played viola, like I said, and my dad actually did a lot of African drumming. We used to go to like dance classes and used to play with them when I was a little kid. And then I would like go to church and like sing in the choir and stuff and like have solos, whatever. And so... So when I got to elementary school in the fifth grade is when we pick our own instruments. My sister is a year older than me. And so she was in band the year before me and my parents got her a saxophone. She hated it. And so I spent that whole year like wanting to play an instrument. And then like finally, like in the fifth grade when she quit, I like picked up the saxophone and like took off. Um, oh, so your first instrument was a sax... Well, the first woodwind instrument was a saxophone. Mm-hmm. So my first instrument was alto saxophone, and I played that until seventh grade. So most states have, like, district band, or they have, like, an all-county band, mm-hmm. which is, like, one of those things you audition for. And I got into one of them in seventh grade, and it was, like, really cool because it was, like, oh, like, there's all these kids that are, like, good at their instruments, and we get to play this music that I never heard of. And we so we played an arrangement of modern Mars from the Planet Suite. Uh huh. Yeah. And there's a part where you can kind of hear the low winds and like the bassoons were sitting in the middle of the band. And so I, I swear, I swear I saw a contra bassoon actually. Okay. But that doesn't make any sense for a seventh grader to be playing a contra bassoon, so I have to be wrong. But that's how I feel. Or maybe they got a ringer? Would they have gotten a ringer to no, play in there? No, like a high schooler? Okay. A ringer. No, it would have okay. been a middle school. It was definitely a middle school student because she was really tiny playing this contra bassoon. So that was the first time I'd ever seen the instrument. I was like, what is that? And then he like, the only other time I heard the instrument was when the conductor pointed them out to like tune before the concert. And so that was like my first like foray into the instrument. And then when we got got the programs back i kind of went through them to see like what are these instruments i've never heard of before mm-hmm. like the euphonium i don't know what that is or right. the oboe and then the bassoon and so i'm like googling these instruments and i come across the super mario brothers video that the oberlin bassoon quartet did way back it has over a million views on youtube actually and so i found that and i was like oh this is really cool so like I bugged my band director for about two or three months. And I think we had band every other day, if not every day. Oh, wow. So I like how it was, in- about yeah, it. very I was persistent. Like, Can I try this instrument? Yeah. And it's, it's funny because she had auditioned a lot of us on tenor saxophone, like at the beginning of the school year. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess I wasn't good at that or something, or she found someone who's better. And so it was cool because like we would do like scales in class. And like if you did more octaves, then like you got more credit for it. Mm-hmm. So the bassoon had a three and a half octave range 
And the saxophone only has two, mm-hmm. two and a half. So it's like I could get like more extra credit for like playing more octaves on the bassoon. So right, yeah. After the the two and three months, though, she finally like relented and let me play both for the last concert. And so yeah, that was how I started playing the bassoon. And I like found a fingering chart on Google Images, mm-hmm. and after an hour of trying to put it together, I like looked it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, figured it out. Oh my That's god, how I did it. <laughs> Wow. Sorry. Yeah. I guess I'm surprised. Like, I'm so old. I'm so, I feel so old to say this, but I like, I would never consider like learning the cello by just looking it up on the internet. <laughs> but I guess that's like what a lot of people do these days, right? Like, there's yeah. a whole, probably a bunch of videos of how to begin on blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I mean, I had like basic knowledge from playing saxophone already yeah. for two years before. So it was like, your it fingers like- do that, you know, you move your fingers a certain way and they have patterns to get the sounds out. Yeah. And so, it was kind of just like figuring out how to do that as I got older than I you know there's things that we call like flicking which is like hitting certain thumb keys so that they don't crack the pitches and, okay. but that's is like more advanced stuff yeah but yeah so I did that I didn't take lessons well I had one saxophone lesson but that was it in eighth grade I ended up moving to a different county so I was actually like ready to kind of give up the bassoon because I was like oh. okay I had my fun and then we moved and at my new middle school my mom was talking to the band director and I was like, I'll play saxophone because we have a saxophone. We didn't have a bassoon in the house because they're expensive. Yeah. And my mom had mentioned to the band director that I played the bassoon and she like lit up. Uh-huh. Because she was like, oh, there were like 13 saxophones in the band the yeah. previous year. Uh-huh. And we had never had a bassoon player. And so I was like, okay, like, sure, fine. Whatever. Yeah. So I showed up to like the first class with my saxophone. And then like a week later, she went to one of the high schools and like found a bassoon for me to play. And she brought it in. And then lo and behold, it kind of went from there. And this band director actually showed me the classical music station. And so when I discovered the classical music station, then I, I literally had it on 24-7. Like uh-huh. I would come home, I would turn it on. And it wouldn't go off until I left the house. Yeah. Like it would be on while I was sleeping. That's interesting to me. So, like, you didn't necessarily grow up with classical music in the house, even though your mom was a violist or is a so violist? She played viola. Like, on and off. So, she played in community okay. orchestra when I was, like, seven. Uh-huh. For, like, a, maybe a year or a few months or something. And then she uh-huh. would pick it up. And so, I have, like, fond memories of, like, hearing the but G major play... prelude to the Bachelor uh-huh. Suite. Like, sure. she would play that. But um, there's and... no, like, symphonies or, like, concertos or string quartet, whatever. There's none of that, like, as your soundtrack of your childhood, necessarily. We had, like, a Mozart CD, like, the baby sounds. But yeah. not really. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, my favorite thing to listen to is African drums. But Okay, right. Oh, um, right. So, but, just that dirty. There was a lot of jazz, a lot of R&B, a lot of sure. gospel, hip-hop. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. a, a lot of variety of different things. But mm-hmm. yeah, classical wasn't really a thing that had been explored until I did it on my own in middle mm-hmm. school. Okay, so so that's when that was like an aha moment to mm-hmm. find the classical music channel. Okay. Yeah, and so then then I discovered pieces like Daphnis and Chloe. That was around that time. Or mm-hmm. one of the other pieces I remember, I absolutely adored Scheherazade. And I mm-hmm. still do. And so I and I would like wake up in the middle of the night, like if it was on at three o'clock in the morning, my brain would like register it. Oh wow, real Shahrazad. <laughs> yeah, and oh, I wow. would like wake up and listen to the piece and then go back to sleep. Well, there's a really <laughs> nice bassoon cadenza moment too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of great bassoon moments um, yeah. in the piece. And, yeah. and then it was about that time when I decided, like, I wanted to go into music. So all of this was kind of happening in eighth grade. Okay, and, wow. Yeah, okay. I had... That's, that's, yeah, uh, to me, that's early. were inspiring. Yeah. I thought... Well, I thought I would be, like, a band director. Okay. Like a, a music educator. Yeah, that was that was kind of the foundations for that. I didn't know that... You could really have a performance career or anything like that. But I, you know, I had three band teachers at that point. Well, two, soon to be third in ninth grade. But mm-hmm. yeah. Did you only ever have a band director as your teacher? Or did you have a private bassoon teacher when you started high school, knowing that you wanted to become a, at least a music educator? No, I didn't. I did have a teacher for a few months towards the end of eighth grade. I maybe had about eight lessons with him over about six months. I guess I did have some private lessons, but then I didn't really have private lessons again until end of 10th grade going into 11th grade. 11th grade was the year that I had regular private lessons. Okay. Like, I, I was all about music. Like, I was doing things like marching band, or I started youth orchestra in ninth grade. That's a funny story. So I forgot my audition repertoire for the audition. And one of the excerpts was, like, the fast music in the fourth movement of Tchaik 4, Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony. Oh. And 
and I couldn't okay. play that. <laughs> I couldn't play that. I didn't know how to practice. But instead, I had played the Weber Bassin Concerto for the solo and ensemble event the year before. And so I just kind of played that, and then they put me in the top orchestra. I was like, oh, oh great. Well, <laughs> how does that, if only that could happen these days, right? I'll just right. play what I want, and I'll get in the top orchestra. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how that, that works out. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. clearly you were like at least talented when it came to the bassoon or something like that. There was a natural ability there. Yeah, I mean, I could play like my scales. Like I had, I had a good solid foundation. Like at least in playing my scales and like listening, I could always do things like that. And so in my youth orchestra, there were like some really good good musicians. I remember the principal oboe. I always admired her playing, and the principal mm-hmm. flute. I always admired her playing, and the other bassoonist. I always admired his playing, and the flutist is two years older than me, and the other. The oboe and the bassoonists were a year older than me. And so, I mean, we did really great rep. Like, my first year, I remember playing Nine on Bald Mountain. Mm-hmm. I think we did Mendelssohn Symphony Number no. 5, Reformation mm-hmm. Symphony, things of that. Wow, and yeah. Big so it was, yeah, it was a good time. I mean, it was like the best music I'd ever played up until that point. And it was, bef- this is before I'm SLP became a thing too. So it was like the only time that I could get access to music like that too, mm-hmm. um, other than listening to it on the radio. So then, yeah, I went through youth orchestra and then people started graduating and some people were going to like Indiana University and then had friends in the orchestra. And then my junior year when I started taking regular private lessons. Okay, let me back up. So. Okay. 10th grade, I got into Allstate. I was like four people tied for the third chair. <laughs> and because I had the higher sight reading score, this doesn't make any sense to me. I like was like the first chair in like the top band or something like that. Okay. And so my middle school band director had heard about that and she was asking around for someone to see if I could get private lessons. And so there was a guy in the army band that was actually kind of in my neighborhood that had used to teach, but he had stopped teaching for whatever reasons and hadn't taught in a while. But he took me in to prepare me for a program that I could audition for, which I did at the end of 10th grade, going to 11th grade. And he helped me prepare for that and I got in. And so then I started this program, which was the National Symphony Youth Orchestra Fellowship Program, which Mm -hmm. is with the National Symphony. And so that was the kind of my exposure to like a real professional orchestra for the first time. Okay, yeah. Well, we had weekly lessons and then we could go to watch rehearsals about once every other week. Mm -hmm. And then they also had just started a chamber music program that year. Mm -hmm. So I got put in a group with this oboe that was in my youth orchestra and then another clarinetist that lived in Maryland. And it was a really fantastic group. Just a trio? Yeah, it was a trio for chamber music. That was. I was assuming it was going to be a wind quintet, but okay, it was a trio. Okay. That was a trio. And then the following semester so december would have been, we had a woodwind trio performance and then in the spring we had a wind quintet oh okay so you found two other people yeah they didn't have a french hornist in the program but then they went and like found someone local grabbed one yeah okay yeah, they grabbed Phew. this really incredible horn player oh, um yeah who was a high schooler uh-huh. and i i would have never known how amazing that wind quintet was until i'd gone to college and like you're looking back on your experience and you're like oh my goodness <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, I had yeah. that same thing too. Like <laughs> some of the people I grew up with playing music are like like some of them like myself ended up being professional musicians too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh wow. Like I didn't realize I was around like so many talented people. But yeah. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And it was just take it for granted when you're young. Yeah, if I think about some of the people that are in the program, like some of these people are playing in like the major orchestras, mm-hmm. so they're yeah, making, like six figure salaries. Right. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> Oh, I knew you in high school. <laughs> right. You inspired me to, you know, continue to play. So a lot of them were older. There was one, I, my wind quintet that second semester, she is kind of a prodigy flute player. So that was kind of like other good flute players in my life. Yeah, I see. Uh-huh. Yeah. I did that program. I got to meet, you know, got to interact with the musicians in the orchestra. There was a side-by-side component. Mm-hmm. So there were about two to three chances to play repertoire in the first rehearsal. So I got to do things like Beethoven 6, mm-hmm. Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. 5, and like see what the professional world is as a musician. And so that like kind of piqued my interest. I wanted to be in music, but like I didn't know what that meant, what that looked like. But And I didn't, I don't really have like an academic drive. Like I'm not driven to like read books and write papers yeah Um, so it was kind of like that was something that i guess i i knew about myself at that point but couldn't figure out how that works out later and so yeah so then my other friends like this hope was she ended up going to juilliard was like oh people around me are going into performance so this seems 
like a logical step because if they're doing it and I'm playing with them, why not like try to make that work? Yeah, okay. So in my senior year of high school, I ended up not being able to have lessons because my teacher had gotten injured and I was doing marching band and all these things. And so our schedules just never happened to line up. Most of my audition prep ended up being like by myself, which is kind oh, wow. of a third. Well, it was kind of a throwback to like when I was earlier in high school and middle school where I was kind of self-taught. And so it was kind of using the stuff that I had learned then to sort of help me practice mm-hmm. for the auditions. And I actually only got into one school mm-hmm. for undergrad and I ended up going there. I went to New England Conservatory mm-hmm. in Boston. I mean, I that's had a pretty a- good school though. <laughs> <laughs> the only one to get into. So yeah, it, yeah. it was, it was, it was a pretty good deal. I did the right thing where you like meet one of the teachers and like yes. have a lesson and you know, finances yeah. are always kind of a struggle. So we made it work. I, I think my lesson was like the day before the audition and then I played the audition. It was like still like one of the best auditions I <laughs> I can oh, think yeah. about. Yeah. It was destined then maybe. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> it's yeah. weird how that kind of works out. And so, yeah, I ended up going there and the guy that I had a lesson with ended up not being the person that I studied <laughs> Oh, with because his studio filled up before I had gotten enough financial aid. Oh, I see. Okay, in the package, but honestly, it worked out for good, anyways, because my teacher had a much smaller studio and he played contrabassoon, which mm-hmm. was like another mild interest of mine. And he ended up being a really great teacher for me and the way that I sort of work. So then I did NEC. I, I learned a lot there and made a lot of friends. And then after that, moved on to Rice. So my teacher at NEC and Mr. Caymans at Rice, they were actually, they used to play in the Houston Symphony together almost 30 or 40 years ago. They played together for almost 20 years, I think. And wow. they're, they're like super close friends to this day. And so in some ways, it kind of felt like an inevitable step that this is where I would go. But I, I learned so much being there being at NEC and then going to Rice it was just sort of like expanding and like connecting a lot more of the dots and I'm still connecting a lot of the dots even later on down the road so yeah well and also like everyone has always is always mentioning about the Rice you know symphony being like almost (laughs) I don't know like a really high high level student orchestra yeah so you're at Rice in 2017 to 2019 right Mm -hmm. so then you went to Minnesota after 2019 Mm -hmm. okay tell me about that okay so I was, you know, doing auditions while I was at Rice, and I knew there were diversity fellowships. This is an, another interest of mine. I'm, I'm black, and I do recognize that there are a lack of black musicians in orchestras in general. And Have just- you felt that throughout your experiences in music? Or is it something you like clocked or was there just it didn't phase you or whatever? I guess I clocked it, but I had always had like other black musicians and orchestras with me. Okay. um, Even at NEC and even in high school. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't really become a thing until I got to Rice. Oh. And it was like, this is a completely different environment than I had ever kind of experienced before. But I mean, that just, in some ways, that just sort of emphasized one of my other interests, (laughs) which was really understanding the concept of like race and its interaction in the orchestral world. Yeah. But anyways, that's that's for another time. Oh. But thinking about the diversity fellowships is is what I was getting to. And I knew there was one in Detroit and I like Google searched to see if they were having an audition and they weren't having an audition. But then some other results came up. So there's one in Pittsburgh and then there was also this one in Minnesota. And so this Minnesota one was only two years old at that point. And I didn't even know it existed until I, I just happened to find it Google. And so I made up my mind that I would audition for this program. And then like the day after I decided that Mr. Caymans' wife, Janet Rarick, she approached me. She's like, are you going to audition for this fellowship program in Minnesota? I was like, I haven't talked to anybody about this. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you, how did you know that I had already made up my mind to do it? That's kind of how that happened. And so I, I prepared this ridiculous day. I mean, the tapes were kind of ridiculous. They wanted the entire Marriage of Figaro excerpt, which is like a four-minute piece, and it's yeah. hard. I mean, it's standard, but it's ridiculously yeah. hard. Yeah. And then they wanted another, like, five or six excerpts, and then they wanted contribution excerpts on top of that. Wow, why so much? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because it's a professional orchestra. I like. suppose, but okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. So I sent in my pre-screening tape for that. I sent in my pre-screening tape for the Pittsburgh, and I was taking orchestral editions at the same time so probably in, yeah it would have been march 
of my second year master's, I auditioned for the fellowship and I made it to the second round. And the second round was the interview. And so at this table is sitting like 17 different people and it's musicians from the orchestra. I think there were a couple board members and Osmo Vansk is there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like yeah. here are all these people that like I really admired like in, in my musical career and I'm like having a conversation with him and trying to make a really good impression. And then... After the interview, I go back downstairs. I wait for the other people to finish theirs, and then they offered me the fellowship right there. Oh wow! So and quick. then I literally flew to another audition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so when I didn't get that audition that I had flown out to, I have basically set up my mind. I was like, okay, I guess we're moving to Minnesota. And people that know me know that I don't like the cold. And so it was like, oh, you're. I'm going to be in a place. Where I'm gonna freeze my butt off and like we're we're just gonna make this happen. Like I, I guess I kind yeah. of it's kind of like the universe is making fun of me. It's like oh, you're I, gonna be wherever. I feel the wherever. same way. <laughs> you have no I put idea. you. The cold is not my friend either. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there you are yeah. in Minnesota. Exactly here I am. Of all places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I ended up moving out there, and it's weird because I made a lot of friends between NEC and Rice, and so like I kind of know someone in basically like every you know every major city or yeah. most places that I go, and if it's not friends. I have really big family, so yeah. I remember I flew down to Jacksonville, Florida for an audition, and I had family there that my mom knew I didn't know. And I yeah. stayed with them. <laughs> I see. She's yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. great. We get to meet and bond and like talk about family yeah. stuff. Yeah, I moved to Minnesota, and I didn't know a single person. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people I knew of, but it wasn't until my flight there that I got an email that one of the second violinists had gotten a job and it was like, oh, there's a name that I'm familiar with because it's someone that I had gone to a festival with. It's like, okay, at least I'll know one person now as I'm moving to this new city. You know, I played a mock audition because there's an audition that was like the first week of my program that was happening. And so I played a mock audition, got to meet the section, and we kind of hit it off. They were really great colleagues and really offered great comments and they were happy with my playing, I guess. And then just started to do so, this job yeah. as a diversity fellow. Yeah. Can you just describe what that program was like? Like, just for people, like, I I can never and should never audition for a diversity program. Like, you know, and so I don't know what mm. is part of that package. Yeah. So the diversity fellowship kind of exists to address or to begin a conversation around the issues of race in classical music, at least in an American context, because a lot of the unions and a lot of the orchestras historically historically had prevented black musicians and brown musicians from even auditioning, let alone playing in the ensembles. And actually, as of right now, there are no black musicians other than the fellows in Minnesota Orchestra. There have been in the past, but there currently aren't. And so I think it's an attempt to begin to open up discussion and really start beginning to prepare black and brown musicians to actually enter the field and be successful. And so what was great about being there is that there's such a um, a camaraderie in the orchestra and so it's it's a job but it also in in some ways it's like a family because mm-hmm. we interact with people I don't know if you know this Minnesota had a lockout yes back in 2012 through 14 I believe yeah for the years and they really bonded together because there was such a huge fight that was going on and so it was kind of like putting your differences aside and becoming a unified group and really standing up for each other and so I learned a lot about sort of having a a positive environment and like where you really want to have your priorities at least i think in, in an orchestra you re- you want to get along with your colleagues and you want the orchestra to sort of thrive and like be inspiring not just for yourself but for for the people that come and listen to you i know isn't that weird to think about sometimes that like as musicians we're selling inspiration i'm fine with that <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's just like, I've, you know, it's kind of a weird way of like thinking about our industry. And I I just, I put that together in my brain just now. Well, like inspiration in some ways can be interpreted as like joy too. We're selling joy to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, or like joy, joy thinks it's infectious. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or an experience. And so I, I don't know that bassoon section is like I, I hadn't heard bassoon playing like that. Do you perform with close. them? <laughs> yeah, no, sorry to interrupt. Uh, do you? Do they just give you a calendar and they say, okay, here are the concerts where we need you to perform with us? Is that kind of how it works? Or yeah, they did give us a calendar. There, so in our contract, there's a certain amount of services that were guaranteed 
for the year. Okay. And so we have like a salary and then our guaranteed services. But if they need you to sub more than that, then they'll hire you to sub at the regular sub rate too. Mm-hmm. So like you have like a certain amount that you're making and then you can almost certainly make more on top of that. Got you. Okay. Yeah. So you were a fellow right during 2020, during the heat of the lockdown, yeah, right? Yeah, that was six months in. <laughs> Oh, man, six months (laughs) in. That's right. Oh, God. Okay, so how did the program morph to that new reality that we are now living in? You know, I I felt very blessed because, like, I didn't have to take a pay cut. Like, the rest of the orchestra did take a pay cut because my salary is separate from the rest of the orchestra. They make way more money than I did. Right, right. Um, So it was kind of me just, like, being able to sort of be a – not lounge around because I I think I I had a chance to sort of let things sort of sit, like – just yeah. coming out of rice, you know, rice is just a very yeah. intense place. It's a pressure like, cooker. Yeah. It is literally a pressure cooker. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, I finally have an opportunity to just like settle. Let and, the like, steam out. Yeah. Let the steam out. <laughs> to keep and, this pressure cooker. Yeah, yeah. And because this is like something that I want to do, but there's a certain point where it's like, there's too much pressure on myself to like actually move forward. Yeah. And, I get and you. to really process everything that's going on because there's just so much going on all the time and in the orchestra world it's like you are you're playing concerts week after week i i mean i wasn't playing concerts week after week but i was having lessons pretty regularly and still taking auditions i think i'd taken three auditions while i was there before the pandemic and so on top of preparing the orchestra repertoire for what i did play so i did like children's concerts i mean Mm -hmm. i played alpine symphony i got to learn like new repertoire like we did debussy's je which is oh crazy piece yes it is Crazy. It's hard. On the same concert as Daphnis and Chloe, too. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, I mean, part of the program is me performing, but then there's another part of the program where I sit on a diversity, equity, inclusion committee. Okay. We would have meetings and like conversations surrounding that and what it means in the orchestra and the direction the orchestra is going. And there was a certain point where it was like, oh, like black and brown musicians have always been a part of classical music. Uh-huh. And it was kind of like a realization that was probably like early January, February, yeah. where it was just like, duh. Uh-huh. Like, I should have known this this whole time. Like, uh-huh. we've been here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's really the fact that, like, barriers were set up in order for Black and Brown musicians to not be at the forefront of the field and to, like, be here. And so the pandemic happened and everything sort of, like, shut down. But we continued to, like, meet over Zoom and mm-hmm. we put out videos and the murder of George Floyd happens mm-hmm. in end of June. May, right? Is yeah, it June? It, it, yeah, you're right. End of in, May. It was Memorial End of May. Day. It was, like, yeah. the New York crazy lady, Karen in New York, and... And then the next day was George Floyd. Yeah. And then Ahmad Arbery had like happened like around the same time mm-hmm. too. Like, all, and Breonna Taylor was like mm-hmm. a month after I just that. it yeah. was just like bam, 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 bam. So it's like <laughs> having to sort of like deal with all these different things. It was that being a part of these discussions really like allowed me to sort of develop an opinion on like well one is like what sort of environment we're living in and then like where orchestras should have been doing in the first place Mm -hmm. in terms of inclusivity being a part inclusivity being a part of the community because being a part of the the community that they are not it's not even what part of the community it's just like this is the community that you live in there are so many parts to it yeah and just being engaged with the actual community i got you if that makes if that makes sense yeah, being it's kind of being conscientious of your of your surroundings. Yeah, and so that allowed for a lot of the conversations that we were having in DEI to sort of, you know, come to the forefront and really start pushing for more changes in things like programming, marketing, things of that nature. Yeah, so that that was one component, like one shift that sort of happened that was going on a few months into the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, the orchestra didn't play a concert until October, I think. Well, no, the first orchestra concert was December, but they had started chamber music in August. They did a month of like free concerts mm-hmm. in August of 2020. It, it was interesting being behind the scenes because I got to see like all the work that was involved. Like a lot of the musicians and a lot, yeah, and a lot of the admin were picking up all this extra work with a pay cut. And so then there, there's the added component of like, is this a sustainable thing? Is this actually like physically sustainable? And so those questions, I mean, I had had those questions going into the orchestra world prior to getting the fellowship, just about, you know, preparing concerts every week and having reads available to <laughs> meet the demands yeah. uh, of the orchestra. And then I actually am seeing that, well, the orchestra is changing and there's already more demands than I realized were going on behind the scenes of the orchestra. And then you had the pandemic on top of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they had like two or three 
backup programs to the the program that they have for for one week and all the planning that sort of goes along with that. Mm-hmm. It's just a little insight into the craziness that happened when the pandemic hit. And mm-hmm. you knowing that more intimately than I do, you know, I'm just a humble librarian at the Minnesota <laughs> Orchestra, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's interesting to see like, oh, there's there's so much more that the musicians do than just play their instrument. Or yeah. I, I guess I should say choose to do because it's a choice to participate in. Some yeah, of some things. is choosing, some is some people get voted <laughs> into it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you finished your time or did you get, or was it interrupted with or organ symphony? Yeah. So that was, so my first year is 2020, second year 2021. Yeah. So bi-weekly concerts were becoming more regular towards the end of the season. And then I had asked for an extension just because there, the you know, part, yeah, the pandemic had sort of, I only got six months out of my first year really yeah. of the normal. The <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that was incredible as it was. And the musicians are inspiring. They're great colleagues. I, I really admire all of them. Yeah. I had asked for an extension, I think in like February, March. And then I got a phone call a few months later that was like, we got an extension. Woo. Oh, yay. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I had done a, a Sphinx competition, um, their orchestral or- excerpt competition. They had done it. It was the very first orchestral excerpt competition. I did that in January, February of 2021. So that the way that that works is that orchestral musicians that have signed up to be supportive of the Sphinx organization and supporters of the competition sent musicians to listen to the auditionees. And so I think there were maybe 30 bassoon players that listened to the first round mm-hmm. of bassoon auditions. And I was the winner for that first round. Oh, awesome. For bassoonists. Of like, course you were. Yeah. <laughs> So part of the stipulations for that is that they were supposed to find one musician that they would hire as a sub for like at least one concert. Okay. Yeah. So Oregon reached out to me, I think in early June of last year, saying that they were interested in hiring me for uh, some services. And we started talking and then the following week they were like, we could offer you one year playing contrabassine. Awesome. And here we are. Oregon Symphony. And so I was like, okay, am I moving to Oregon? And so I was like talking to like Mr. Kamins and Mr. Henniger, my teacher from undergrad and and the bassoon section in Minnesota. And yeah, this all agreed that this is the best decision. So awesome. um, Yeah. And so now being here, it's like learning how to play the, not learning how to play the contrabassoon because I know how to play the contrabassoon, but like learning how to play the contrabassoon and as an orchestral musician. So Oregon Symphony is a smaller section. There's only three of us. And so there's also like a lot of bassoon playing that happens. I do a Mm -hmm. lot of uh, second bassoon playing as well. It's been great. Well, good luck with the remainder of your time at the Oregon Symphony. I'm sure you are kicking ass and taking names there with your contrabassooning. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. They're hilarious here and they're they're wonderful colleagues and it's it's a really great orchestra to play with. Yeah. All right, yeah. are you ready to take a break? Sure. sure. Okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. So, food and culture. Yeah. What about food and culture? Okay, so I've gotten more into cooking since the pandemic, just because like I have a little bit more time. I've always, I've always kind of cooked, even in high school and stuff. Yeah. I remember what actually kind of- the first thing my mom ever let me cook. I think I was 11 years old, and I went to the kitchen. I got some. We had a couple rolls, and I put some salad dressing in it, and I put some cheese, and then I baked it in the oven. Oh. That, I know it sounds really weird, but it was actually kind of good. So. <laughs> What kind of dressing? It was Italian dressing. Oh, okay. So it was like almost Have you garlicky made that sense? breast, garlicky bread. Have I made it since? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it I was feel like we got to recreate this though. Like now that you've, you know, shared the recipe. We... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Take, take all of my recipes. So I was talking to my friends about like some of my interests and like some of them mentioned, I do this thing on Snapchat, which is, I call it Chef Rock. So it's like, I'll like document the food that I'm making. Okay. On <laughs> Snapchat? It. So it might just be like spaghetti. Yeah, on Snapchat. And I'll like post it on my story and I'll type uh-huh. it like Chef Rock. Um, <laughs> so like, uh, some, like I, I've always wanted to like expand my palate. And so like, 
growing up, my mom was pretty conscientious about our health and stuff. So I always think about like what kinds of foods are healthy and try to be healthy. But also like my mom's a really great cook. And so everything tastes good. So like flavor is also like really important to me. And yeah. There's like always a conflict of like, is this right, healthy? And is like, is there flavor? Right. Because fat is flavor. Mm-hmm. So if, if you take out fat, which is one way of making things a little bit healthier, then you mm-hmm. like, how do you then supplement the flavor what's your answer to that my answer right now is to keep the fat (laughs) 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 i mean like so i don't cook with like bacon fat or or things like that i I definitely cook with like olive oil a lot more than i would just even like vegetable or canola oil and things of that nature but yeah. I need flavor in my food too. <laughs> right. Well, I'm also to say that like, it's not like we shouldn't ever eat fat. Like fat yeah. is good for you. Like there is definite. Yeah. yeah. And I try to balance it out with like more vegetables. So I eat like plenty of spinach and like plenty of like salads. And recently my new recipe that I've copied some from somewhere on the internet is like curry lentils. Ooh, yes. Oh my goodness. It's so good. I know. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. I okay. What's what's in your like curry lentil soup? I'm assuming, or is it just lentils? It's just curry lentils. It's not a soup. It's not a stew. I mean, but it's like just... it's it's been boiled like it's been boiled down. So I guess it would have formerly have been more of a stew. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. So like the base of it is like serrano peppers and like ginger oh. and garlic. It's like the base of it, and then you put like the seasoning soup of like curry powder and like mm-hmm. chili powder and garam masala, which I'm not used to cooking yeah. with, but like yeah, I'm like whoa, this is actually really great. And, like yeah. turmeric. You got your lentils, and then you put in like tomato paste after all that mm-hmm. stuff has sort of got aromatic and everything. Mm-hmm. And you like cook it, you let it simmer for about half an hour, and then you put in like coconut milk, and then you top mm-hmm. it off with like lemon and cilantro. And it's yeah, oh my gosh. And I just can't, <laughs> like, I, I discovered this recipe like three weeks ago, and, I, and it lasts. Okay, so like one of one of my goals in a past life, and it still kind of is there, is like I would love to go vegetarian at least for a little while. Yeah. Or like even vegan, just to like experience it. Because everyone that I know that has gone vegan is like, this has been really great. Like my mood is so much better and all these different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I could do it. Well, you know, like the meatpacking industry is like the highest polluting industry like by far, like mm-hmm. even more than like cars. And so, all those cow like farts, if I can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all those cattle farms, it's it's kind of. Well, bad. I said cow farts, but <laughs> that too, cow farts, yeah. yeah, come from cattle farms, sort of. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So just like in in terms of just like trying to be holistic and how I. Uh, think about the environment and also like health conscious about the things that I put out of my body because we're omnivores mm-hmm. we eat both meats and veggies it's like I would love to get enough recipes to sort of like you know take out meat for a good chunk of my time or not be as reliant on it and yeah. one of the things about like being in school is that like you're busy all these hours in the day you see you only have so much time to eat and like like if you eat something with like protein like peanut butter or like you eat like something with meat it like sits in your stomach long yes. enough so that you can get all of these done you can use all that energy and then like mm-hmm. yeah you don't have to like worry about being hungry while you're doing your errands for the day and yeah. so that was sort of my conundrum with that but with these lentils and like oh they actually like they fill you up and like you're not hungry for like a long period of time and so it's like a, it's yeah. a great alternative um, yeah i found well, and they're and so, so super good for you too like yeah. high nutrients and so what i was gonna say is i also recently started getting into a little bit more of indian cooking as well mm. because i found that i mean with certain i mean of course there's some recipes that are just like heavy cream and like you know you just you know let you let it loose a little bit but there's some that you can be a lot more reserved when it comes with in terms of how much fat you decide to put in there Mm -hmm. and i found that a lot of what they do is flavor it with so many spices and aromatics that Mm -hmm. then it's just like it sustains you in a way that Mm -hmm. you know and and doesn't compromise on the flavor so much right it doesn't compromise on the flavor i love that oh i could talk about curries all days (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, totally yeah. me too. I guess my question though is, I mean, I know you say you recently discovered the curry lentils, but what cuisines did you primarily dive into just in general so or before? During the pandemic. Okay, so I've always loved curry and like mm-hmm. my mom's best friend growing up, she was actually Jamaican. And so her friend's mom like taught my mom like some curry recipes so, or like okay. jerk chicken and like curry yeah. chicken and oh. she's even made like curry oxtails and oh my gosh it's so good and so like <laughs> when I went to college it was like I want to learn how to make these things because yeah like it's like a comfort food for me um so I've always had like obsessions with, like to making curries and like it's actually not until like I got to college that I even like thought about like oh there's like Southeast Asian curries like 
or even mm-hmm. like Indian curries. Like I kind of knew they existed, I guess. Yeah. But I'd never really eaten them. Um, okay, so this is funny because I've never had a Jamaican curry. I've only had jerk oh. chicken. So I we gotta we gotta <laughs> trade off. We yeah. have to come visit and we'll make curries. We'll make curry when, next time in the Twin Cities. For sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So during the pandemic, I actually started experimenting with like different kinds of wheat and like trying to make different curries. My roommate had a jar of red curry, which I'd never. That was not about red curry. I never cooked with it. It's just like, I'll do the curries that I do. So I started experimenting with making red curries, which kind of took off one of my Chef Rock Snapchat. I think I made, <laughs> I think I made it like three times in a month. Like a Thai, Thai red curry. Like obviously. a Thai red curry. Yeah. yeah. And so I had to go and like find things like fish sauce and like lemongrass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, these are like some new flavors that I get to add to my repertoire. And like, they're just mm-hmm. sitting in my shelf and like all proud of them and, <laughs> <laughs> and whatnot. And oh my goodness, it was so good. So then I like was like, oh yeah, I kind of do have an obsession with curries, I guess. And it was just sort of like exploring that. Like I definitely, I had bought some pork at the beginning of the pandemic. We went to Costco, but right at the beginning, like I just like stocked up on like a whole bunch of food because I was like, I don't know when I'm ever going to leave my house again. Sure. Because it's kind of how it Where's was. Where's the toilet paper? Yeah. <laughs> like... oh, yeah. Forget about the toilet yeah. paper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's so, probably like the most hilarious thing that came out of the beginning of the pandemic, which is the toilet paper. Oh, but yeah. that's like such a standard. Like that's. I, mean, I know. So I'm from the East Coast, and like we get like hurricanes, and so whenever there's like hurricanes, like water's gone, like toilet paper's toilet gone. paper's it's gone. Just, gone. Like, it's just gone. Like the shelves are yeah. just empty, and so it's just like yeah. Whenever anything is about to a go disaster down, strikes, the yeah, kind of disappear because we can't live without toilet paper. Anyway, Apparently. continue. There's yeah, we should all get bidets. I know. Come on, guys. No. No. I'm kidding. I've never used a bidet, so me say <laughs> As we're talking, Wait, about we're one food, to talk. Yeah. I'm, this podcast is not sponsored by bidets. Just just like, for the yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I was, like, experimenting with, like, different recipes, and I, like, made some curry pork, which I'd never done before, and it, like, turned out okay, and I was like, okay, you know, just trying different recipes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is this all, like, stovetop that you do, or do you have, like, an uh, instant pot, Instapot, or? Well, okay, I did have an Instapot. I actually, it's really bad. The only thing I ever used the Instapot for was for rice. <laughs> I, I, I used it as a rice cooker, because I didn't have a rice cooker. Oh, no! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did. I also did. My roommate had came in with a uh, what do you call it? What's a slow cooker? A crock pot. Yeah, like a crock pot. She had a crock pot, and so I, like I, I did use that. Like I, I would make like chicken and potatoes in there, and that came okay. out pretty good. Yeah, um, slow. But cooker. it wasn't as good as like my mom's cooking is just so much better. Yeah. Um, so how did your mom used to cook? Good question. I get oh with I, more well, seasonings. Realized, okay. <laughs> But yeah, I guess I guess I did answer that already, like a lot more Jamaican or whatever, right? Well, that was just the curry. I mean, she makes, they make like everything. And I, I guess the culture part of this sort of comes in where it's just like an appreciation for like, there's always like an appreciation for like other cultures and like the things that other cultures sort of bring to the table. So like, mm-hmm. I was thinking, so one of my roommates in, in school, he was from Hong Kong. And so I would like bag about Chinese food because like I don't like Chinese food but it's it was because it was okay but okay I'm sorry (laughs) so I have an I have an egg allergy (laughs) that's right I forgot about that and so there's always an issue of cross-contamination or like not knowing what's in the food that became an issue it's not that and it's not that I don't like Chinese food it's just like American Chinese food has a tendency to be kind of greasy and that cross-contaminated with egg totally and also there's things called egg noodles that you probably probably can't eat oh yeah i've had those did go well (laughs) (laughs) and so i it it was funny like having this discussion it was like oh well i haven't had authentic chinese food for one and then this american chinese food is just like this conception that i have like in my head about what is chinese food chinese food so it was like i always like would come across like these dilemmas in a way where it's like oh my assumption about this quote-unquote ethnic food is not really quote-unquote ethnic food (laughs) Yeah, that's how I feel about music as well. Music and food is Mm. like going straight to understanding a particular group of peoples. Mm. Playing salsa music or playing tangos 
Mm-hmm. It's like you have to learn or hear and experience that style of music in order or in yeah. watch performers do it. And then if a tango ever comes my way, try my best to go straight to that particular culture. And, and, really- and yeah, and f- I'm just using that as a quick example. But yeah, like, and good. food is that way too. Like when you experience, you go to a restaurant and you experience high quality Mexican food or even street food for that matter, just mm-hmm. like whatever people, it's just like you are getting a small insight into this group of people's history mm-hmm. that is not in the history books you know what i mean like yeah. you know it's i also feel like both music and food is a moment of love from mm-hmm. from the from ancestors one... yeah totally <laughs> yeah and so i think that's this excites me because i feel very similarly with you about how i also enjoy and love cooking and i also love mm-hmm. to discover that's where i was saying like with indian food i've only just started to like tap into that mm-hmm. and i feel like when I'm practicing making the same dishes over and over, I'm trying to copy like the best Indian food I've ever had right. in my life and saying, mm-hmm. okay, but th- so how do they get that coriander to come through? Or how do they get mm-hmm. that cardamom pod to like, is it to the ingredient? You know, it's just, and, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's just, it's like experimenting and also kind of refining this craft of like, okay, how do I get the best curry that I can possibly do? And trying to emulate this culture in a way and like what they developed for so many years. And with mm-hmm. music too, it's like the yeah. same. How do we best it's serve? The same, yeah. So that's, that's what how I took from what you're saying. And- yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and also it's delicious. Like <laughs> also it's delicious. And yeah. I mean, you know, and nutritious. more vest- yeah, and nutritious, like more vegetables. <laughs> I know that Indian culture has a history of like vegetarianism. Yeah. And so yeah. the fact that I can like draw inspiration from there to inform a healthier diet for myself what your body feels best consuming right feels best for me yeah are there any particular cuisines that you haven't yet tried to make but are interested in intrigued by there's so much so i'll just go through like some of the stuff that i made during the pandemic so i tried to make have you ever been to cooking girl in houston oh that sounds so sorry this is uh... a plug for them it was (laughs) it was like a chinese food restaurant but they had this like incredible like eggplant and garlic sauce Oh my gosh, it's so good. Like, I think I went there like three times and every time I had to get that dish because it was just so delicious. Wow. I'm not an eggplant person, but you're making me seriously consider going there the next time I go. It's worth it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's worth it, I tell you. And so that's just like one of my favorite dishes, like flat out. Like, um, But I can't make it personally. But I tried. I did try to make it twice. Well, is it like Szechuan style or is it? What is Szechuan style? Oh, it's a lot of like Szechuan peppercorn or spice. A lot of... There's not a lot of spice, although it can have a little bit of a kick to it. Like what's in that dish, in other words? Things like, weirdly enough, like fish oil and garlic and oyster sauce. Mm-hmm. And yeah, things like that. It's kind of sweeter. Okay. And the way that they made it just like made me, ugh, I could talk about food forever. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, it please. made me, <laughs> it made me want to try it for myself to make it for myself. Yeah. Okay. I, I have to tell you this one story. So back in 2019, the summer that I was moving to Minnesota, I was at Spoleto and they have a farmer's market that happened every week yes. in the park yes. when I was there. And That's where I always got my pickles. <laughs> oh my gosh. Pickle please. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Is that what you're just about to say? I don't know who it was. I don't know the name of the, I don't know the name of the company, but there was someone who was selling pickles at that farmers it's market. It's so good. And Those they were pickles. literally the best pickles I've yes. ever had in my life. Oh my god. To I'm this so day. Happy. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> to this day. And I, I remember like taking a bite of the pickle and I was like what the heck? <laughs> I it, it was so just like masterfully and artistically created. It was like, I want to transfer this into my music making. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe we found the same pickle place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would get I think every time I had and could go to that <laughs> farmer's market, I was like, I'm going to that pickle place. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. And so it, it to this day it remains like one of my inspirations for like yeah. my music making. It's like if I can make music like these people made the pickles that were so geared towards perfection. Like, so I mean, that, I mean, that was like the perfect pickles, but it was just like yeah. geared towards just beauty and artistically and aesthetically like pleasing. Well, then like right. 
Well, see, this is where I, so my brain started going like, okay, if you take a cucumber, a pickled cucumber, like mm-hmm. there's just no flavor really to a cucumber at all, except a little right. bit of texture and water mm-hmm. and like maybe a little bit of savory, whatever. whatever. taste is, yeah. Yeah, but then they like, the way that they balanced the flavors of the salt and vinegar and the dill mm-hmm. and the garlic, it's just mm-hmm. like, that's the, perf- that's the thing that we are mm-hmm. like inspired by with this stupid pickle. Yeah. <laughs> It's a pickle. But and also, like, did you the have the, the hot ones the, too? No, I didn't have the hot ones. I think I, try- mine were a little bit sweeter. There was sugar. There had to have been sugar in mine. Then by um, maybe a little bit of sugar. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I oh, didn't get man. the hot ones. No. Okay. Those are, uh, they were okay. And they had pickled okra too, but that wasn't really my. I did see the pickled okra. Maybe another time. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. So it, yeah, seriously, that was anyone who goes to Spoleto. <laughs> shout out to the pickle place because I do not place. remember. Get yeah. it. You yeah. will not regret it. Yeah. Anyone in Charleston. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, so that as an inspiration. So actually when I moved to Minnesota, the first thing I did when I got a library card was I went to go find a book on pickling because I was like, I'm oh. going to learn how to make pickles. I only See, got like I had the same two pages thought. in. I just never did it though. I was like, I got a pickle. <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> I got about two pages into the book and I was like, oh, this is like talking about pickling in general. I, I can't handle this right now. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it sat on my shelf okay. about a couple months. But yeah. I tried. I did learn how to make pickled onions. Yes. During the That's pandemic. actually quite easy. And that was yeah. really great because you can put them in salads. You can put them on sandwiches. You can put them. Pickled onions go so well. And like mm-hmm. me being health conscious, like this yeah. is like. I'm thinking of ways to make my food healthier and tasty. Because like add- when you pickle food, it's like good for your digestive system. Totally. So then <laughs> what I, I talked about eggplant, I talked about the curry, I talked about the pickled onions, and then I think, you know, like chicken in a crock pot with potatoes. That was pretty good too. Yeah. I was like putting in all these extra ingredients. Like there were some recipes that had like honey and like lemon. And I was like, I wouldn't sold on it. It was fine. Yeah. I think I've got to like discover a little bit more with, I'm looking for more, something more savory and a little saltier. Not, mm. not like super salty, but just like, yeah. I'm trying to think of how to help you. Um, <laughs> if you figure it out, you, you got to let me know. Something um, more, it's like a dish that's more savory and salty. Well, just a, the way to season the chicken. And so that oh, it comes out a little bit more. And, and cause like when you put, for some reason, when I put the lemon in and like the honey, it seemed to like dry it out. Okay. Wait. So, you know, I finally did the like buttermilk and salt chicken from salt, fat, acid, and heat uh-huh. and marinated the chicken. Uh-huh. So maybe that's the first step before you toss it in the crock pot. To marinate the chicken in buttermilk? Buttermilk and salt. And salt. Hmm. Yeah. I know that's what people do when they like fry chicken okay i baked it and it you was did? delicious yeah oh, man. so but okay maybe it's different not- it's different in a crock pot because i bake i bake chicken yeah. too sometimes i like yeah. mo- i do mostly stovetop cooking i don't know it just yeah. kind of happens to be what it is but uh mm-hmm. yeah i bake chicken a few times and i mean it's still that still comes out not super dry I mean, I think part of it is like the choice of meat, like if it has bone in it or if it doesn't, like chicken breasts mm-hmm. or just tends yeah. to be a little bit drier than like thighs or legs. Yeah, legs. but I also like to put salt, I, if I can and have, if I have time, I'll salt the breast overnight or something like that. Oh. So what happens is that the salt, I think Brendan explained this just a, a couple episodes ago, the chemistry of it. But like when you put salt on top of the chicken, mm-hmm. it pulls the moisture out of the chicken and then creates this like coat of, or. It, somehow it it then gets re see he he needs to teach this to me again but I think somehow it rehydrates the the muscle it like kind of it like oh. tenderizes from you know that that, that makes sense because like when you when you get dehydrated from running and you're supposed to drink like something with electrolytes like salt mm-hmm. is an electrolyte and so it yeah. rehydrates your muscles yeah so. so definitely just try try like one boob and just like <laughs> overnight put some like salt it and let it yeah. sit you'll you'll have a pool of water at the bottom or you know like chicken juice at, on okay. the bottom. Mm-hmm. But then let's see, like, I'm curious to see how, when it cooks, if you get a t- more tender boob, oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll think about that one. And yeah. then you don't have to salt it because it's already salted. You know, yeah, exactly. The- I've had yeah. such bad experiences cooking chicken breasts. Like, the only thing that I can really do with it now is, like, make tacos. Fajitas <laughs> where I kind of, like, cut it up. Yeah, shred it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We could talk about food for days. I love food. It's, like, again, it is. it brings people together. It's tapping into a history that spans so many generations and And experiences like if it wasn't for my mom's friends she would be making jamaican curry chicken yeah or i wouldn't have learned how to make what is it my roommate called it chicken and white sauce but it's or oily sauce which is like a chicken with like cabbage you kind of it's kind of stewed chicken with like cabbage and garlic 
and like, mm-hmm. you put like sugar and like white wine, what cooking wine? Vinegar. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. yeah cooking wine. Yeah. Too. And it's really simple, but it's like delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I was also going to say though, that, that like, in addition to like looking back and hearkening to the past, what also is so exciting to me about cooking is that we're always reinventing it or we're always trying mm. to find ways of upping it or changing True. slightly, like based on our own personal histories of how we grew up. So it's always yeah. very similar to music in that way too. Like we're always trying mm-hmm. to move a little, move the needle a little bit in a different direction than yeah always just like hearkening to the past of things yeah yeah trying to dig into those deeper emotions that you kind of get from aesthetics is that the right yeah word? sure <laughs> yeah yeah definitely the next time you come to the twin cities or i go to portland or I'm whatever in four weeks Okay, okay. So when when you show up, let's make some nice curries together yes. and then let's also make some try to pickle. Oh. Uh, right? Wait. We got Okay, we can try to pickle. It's kind of a short time frame to pickle. I, mean, I can get started now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kai, can I ask you two final questions? Yeah, go for it. What is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career? Ooh, be fearless. Don't be afraid Ooh. to ask questions. You're not going to be a fool for asking questions. Good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. I feel like I need to listen to that every day. <laughs> I know. Right on the wall. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And as we enter a post-pandemic-ish, whatever-we-are world, what elements of your musical pandemic life would you want to continue and what would you want to shed? I think I would like to continue to be curious, to not be afraid to explore certain things, Mm -hmm. like other genres even. I've made some really good friends from Spoleto that like not only can play bassoon classically, but like experimentally. And to just not be afraid to step into those uncomfortable spaces. And I would love to continue that. And then maybe something to shed. I mean, I think going back to the comment that I just made about being fearless is to confront that fear Mm. and, and to confront the discomfort. Yeah. I would love to shed that and like be happy. Yeah. Just walk into to a space with joy and fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, be more confident. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, can you imagine if we all were powered at that like empowerment level, oh. how much nicer the world would be? <laughs> yeah. There's a awesome quote that my aunt used to have on her wall. I lived with my aunt for my second year at Rice for a semester. And it was, uh, there was a quote that used to be an Akilah in the beat. That's how I know it. But our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're like more powerful beyond measure. Um, who are we to hide ourselves? We should. And it goes on. It's, it's a really long quote. But it, yeah. the idea of it is that like you're actually meant to shine and, and to, to share your light with the other people around you and not to, to shy away. Yeah. Don't let someone steal your shine or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Again, I feel like I need a I need someone to preach that to me every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time I read it, I, I get a sense of like, oh, that that hit right at the the heart. Yeah, yeah, I got. <laughs> I'll send it yeah. to you later. It's, it's yeah, please do. I would love to have that. Are there any platforms or websites for our listeners to learn more about you or any upcoming projects? Well, if you're in Portland, come check out the Oregon Symphony because you'll see me Yay. playing pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, also, in April, I'll be playing at the Gateways Music Festival in New York. So if you're in New York, come check out the concert in Carnegie Hall. Or if you're in Woo. Rochester, we'll be doing a concert at Eastman. This is the week of April 20th. So yeah, just Google Gateways Music Festival and you'll find that. And those are projects. If you want to find me, I have Facebook. I'm on there. You'll find me. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. And if you enjoyed listening, be sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you're tuning into this podcast. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. It doesn't need to be long. Your review will help others search for the podcast because of its crazy algorithms and you'll make Sushi's day and it's free. Make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family as well. If you want to level up, you can always become part of the Hide and Behind the Music Stand family by donating what you will on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash hide and music stand. Our social media handle for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is at Hide and Music Stand, and we'd love to hear from you at our email, hideandmusicstand at gmail.com. Didn't recognize a piece we discussed during the episode? No worries. There's a Spotify playlist with all the music discussed for your convenience. The link is in the description of each episode. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kai. I'm so happy that we found the pickle place together. That's <laughs> oh my gosh, so I'm awesome. so excited about that. Yeah. I can't wait to go back. <laughs> Yeah. Honestly. Can you like ship me? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> yeah. If I'm in Charleston, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Or just have a pickle for me. I'll buy you some pickles. <laughs> I will learn the recipe. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Study from the master. Yeah. No, yeah. anyway. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is that Pickle Place is also selling curry. <gasps> what? I didn't know yeah, that. They, they sold curry powder too. The place oh. that I would get the pickles from. 
you then they also had like the okra in so yeah. i think we're thinking about the same place i think so i think so but anyway <laughs> thanks again for being on the show and thank you all for listening thanks for having me yay say bye sushi